All right, welcome everybody. How you doing today? Good? Good, good. Happy New Year. And uh, I want to welcome you. Thanks for making it this morning through this uh, raw January morning. I also want to welcome everybody who might be joining us online. Great to see you this morning. We're actually kicking off our 2024 with a brand new series here at Hope on the letter of James. The theme is Faith in Action. James calls us to live out our faith. It's one of the most practical books of the Bible and a favorite of many. Anybody? James, a favorite book? Okay, good, good. Uh, I hope you feel excited. This is going to be a fun and challenging series for us. Uh, but before we get into the series, I want to do a quick introduction on the book of James. Maybe you are new to Christianity. Maybe you're exploring the Christian faith or just want to know more about the book of James. Do a quick introduction. If you have your Bible, you might want to turn to James. It's near the end, near the back, uh, James chapter 1. But this is how it opens. James 1 verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So you hear a greeting there at the beginning. That's because this is a letter. It's a letter that was written. And who is the author of this letter? Did you catch that? The author was James. James sounds like kind of an ordinary name. Maybe he went by Jim. I don't know. But this is not an ordinary James. This is, a, this is a famous James. He has an even more famous brother. We are talking about James, the brother of Jesus. And James emerges in the first century as a great leader of the church in Jerusalem, which was the center of early Christianity. But I just want, to, want you to imagine for a second what it would be like for you to grow up with Jesus as your brother. I'm sure all James' life, he, he would hear, uh, why can't you be more like your brother? He's perfect, you know. It would have been tough. During Jesus' life on this earth, James was skeptical of the claims of Jesus. In fact, uh, John 7, 5 says about Jesus... Even his own brothers didn't believe him. And of course they didn't, right? They were his brothers, right? Like they thought he was crazy. I mean, if your brother went around claiming to be the divine son of God, you might have said like, uh, no, you're not. And that's what Jesus' brothers felt. But notice James chapter 1, verse 1. James calls Jesus not his brother, but his Lord. And what could explain that? Nothing short of a resurrection. See, James saw his brother crucified, died on a cross, buried in a tomb. And then James saw his brother risen from the dead, alive, exalted. And his life was forever changed. He went from James the skeptic to James the servant of God and of the Lord. Jesus Christ. We'd be crazy today not to pay attention to a letter from somebody whose life was so radically transformed by Jesus Christ. Who first received this letter? The first recipients were scattered Jewish Christians. James calls them the 12 tribes scattered in the dispersion. And of course, the very first people to hear about the resurrection of Christ and to follow Jesus were people from the 
12 tribes of Israel. They were Jewish people who had put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And a new movement began to explode in the city of Jerusalem, but to put it to an end, a famous Christian named Stephen was put to death. Remember that story? And we read in Acts 8, verse 1, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all, what's the word there? Scattered. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And sometime in the mid-40s A.D., Pastor James writes a letter to his friends whom he calls the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. These are the true people of God around the world. James appears to have been written very early. Uh, if we continue the introduction, James was likely the first New Testament book ever written. Written maybe in the mid-40s A.D. A lot of discussion about that. But the message of James remains just as powerful and relevant today as it was back then. And one of the reasons for that is um, for the next one. James echoes with the voice of Jesus, which I love. And as we go through the letter of James, we're frequently going to hear things that you can say, didn't Jesus say something like that? And we'll, we'll point out some of those references. In fact, there are 25 echoes in James of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's all we'd expect from the brother of the Lord, isn't it? Absolutely. And finally, the theme of James is faith in action. Faith in action. All right, so if your Bible's open, and I see a lot of open Bibles, good job, everybody. You'll notice that right after the first verse, James dives into this topic of trials and tests. Just like James scattered friends who had difficult lives, many of us here today are facing challenges that are stressful. So how do we put our faith into action when our faith is being put to the test? We're going to be looking at that this morning. Now, tests are never fun. We have some students here. Any, any students agreeing with me today? Uh, don't enjoy tests? Okay. Remember going, growing up, I loved school. I hated the tests. Didn't matter what kind of test it was, spelling test, geometry test, midterm final exam, essay, multiple choice, uh, just the word test. Gives me a bad feeling. Anybody ever get caught taking a test you weren't ready for? That's no good. <laughs> I remember uh, one time walking into my college U.S. history class. I was all happy, had a smile on my face. and um, I was a diligent student, always studied for my tests. But as I sat down, I heard the professor say, okay, everybody clear your desk and take out a pencil. I was like, wait, I thought the test was next week. I was freaking out. I asked the person next to me, do we have a test today? Yeah. And when I didn't like their answer, I asked the person behind me, do we have a test today? Yep. And I immediately <laughs> like panicked. And uh, hoping for a miracle, I ran to the, uh, the professor in the front of the class. I said, is there any way? Like, I did not study for this test. Can I get out of this test? Take it tonight, tomorrow, the next day, next week, please. I'm not ready. And he just smiled at me and said, no, you got to take the test. <laughs> Maybe you're facing a test today. 
or a trial in your life. It might be a difficult relationship. Somebody's not treating you well. It could be, it could be an unexpected bill that you can't pay, or maybe there's a health situation that's creating fear in your life. Whatever it is, many of us here today are going through tests. We can relate to this message this morning. Tests are never fun, but passing a test is. And we can do hard things. James is going to encourage us this morning to see that every test is an opportunity to grow in three different ways. We cannot become all that God created us to be without going through some tests. But how we respond makes all the difference. Every test is an opportunity to put our faith into action. How about that? So hear how James encourages us. We read James 1, verses 1 through 12. That's what it says. Powerful, powerful words. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations... Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's pause and pray before we explore the message of James. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your scriptures that encourage us and can meet us in the midst of things that are hard and confusing for us. God, I pray that this morning that the burdens will be lifted, that we'll see the greater plans and purposes you have for every one of us. We need your help this morning. Give us the wisdom we need, the hope and the faith that we need for the trials and challenges that face us. God, we give this morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So James wants us to see that every test is an opportunity to grow. And he's going to take us through three of the key themes of this letter. We're going to come back to these themes throughout our series. Those three key themes are trials, wisdom, riches, and poverty. Those are going to be the big topics of our three points. Um, but we're really talking about how we grow. And I think 
at the new year where a lot of us are thinking, what are some action steps that I can take in my life to grow personally? And James is going to help us see how we can grow, specifically through our trials. So number one, every test is an opportunity to grow stronger. You might want to write that down. Every test, test is an opportunity. Number one, every test is an opportunity to grow stronger. And what James is writing us today is almost unbelievable. I don't know if you heard this. Look at verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I happened to go through some tests this week. You went through some difficulties. In the meantime, putting this message together, and it dawned on me that when I go through hard things, when tests come my way, my first reaction is not to consider it joy. Anyone? Not considering those things pure joy? Yeah. Neither, neither, neither did I this week. And I was like, God, what's going on? And you know what I felt? I felt frustration. I felt stress, anger, overwhelmed, discouraged. Pretty much anything other than joy was what I felt. And then here comes James, literally out of the gate, telling us that joy is possible in the midst of the tests and the trials that you and I face. Isn't that a little bit mind-blowing? We consider the possibility of joy. Because James wants us to know right now, joy is possible. In the midst of that trial, in the midst of that test, you and I can consider joy in the Lord. James echoes the teaching of Jesus here from the Sermon on the Mount. Remember these words? Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And he goes on to say, rejoice and be glad. Or as James says here, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Life is hard. It's full of many disappointments and much opposition. But there is a possibility of facing every one of those with joy in our heart and joy in our life. We can choose a life of joy. See, joy is an attitude, not an accident. And joy comes from God. Here's how I define joy. Definition of joy. Joy is a supernatural delight in God. In other words, when we go through trials and tests and all kinds of hard things, joy is not our natural response. But joy can be a supernatural response. Our joy isn't in the circumstances that we're going through, but our joy is in the Lord. It's a delight in the presence of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit and our hope in the goodness of God and his plan for our life. And because of that, we can truly count it all joy. So what's our reason for joy? What does James say? Because James explains, look at verse 3, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
In other words, we need a different perspective. That difficulty, that challenge is not just something hard. James calls it a test of our faith. And for James, faith is a big concern in this letter. The theme is faith in action. He opens his letter here on the topic of faith, faith in trials. He ends his letter on the topic of faith, the prayer of faith, like Elijah, those of you who are familiar with the letter. And in those in-between five short chapters, the word faith occurs 16 times. Faith is not only a theme of James, but faith is to be the theme of our lives. Trusting in, see, every difficulty we go through is an opportunity to exercise our faith muscle and to put our trust in the Lord. And what, what's so cool, what's so amazing is in those moments, as we're trusting in God, something beautiful and wonderful begins to develop in our lives. James says, faith produces perseverance. Faith is what empowers us to not give up when life is going hard. Faith is the key to perseverance, to sticking with it, to being patient while God is working and waiting on God's timing. It's perseverance, and faith produces perseverance. Now, what is the work that God is doing in the midst of that? He says he's helping us to become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, mature is a translation of the Greek word teleos. And, and, and teleosity is also found in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus says, be perfect, the teleos can translate perfect or mature, same word. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You guys remember that? Are we, will we ever be perfectly sinless in this life? Will we ever be perfect like that, probably not. James even admits in James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways. So what is this teleosity? What is this maturity? To be mature, complete, not lacking anything. James is talking here about a wholeness or completeness of our heart and our life. What is in our heart is matching with what's happening in our life. Does that make sense? Our, there's no duplicity. James talks about somebody who's double-minded, believing and doubt. Maturity is to be, have a completeness of our heart and our life. Our faith is real. We love God with all our heart. It's being expressed outwardly in our lives. In other words, for James, maturity is putting our faith in action. And God wants us to become mature. How do we mature? Well, I put this graphic up before. Let's do it again. This is from Dallas Willard called the Golden Tri Triangle of Spiritual Growth. You're saying, how can I grow spiritually in 2024? Well, number one, it's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That's at the top, the action of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is transforming our lives. Praise God, it starts with him, not me, right? He's doing it. Then you got here. On this side, you've got planned disciplines to put on a new heart. Maybe you are made a New Year's resolution this year. 
hey, I'm going to practice some disciplines. I want to grow in my faith. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to eliminate distractions. I'm going to read my Bible. I've got a Bible plan this year. I'm doing it, at least until Leviticus. I'm good. Or maybe it's a... Maybe you want to be a part of a community of faith with others. I'd be a part of a small group. Lives, lives are changed in, in community. I believe that. So what are the planned disciplines that you've got on your radar for 2024? God's going to grow you through those. But then there's one on there that I don't like quite as much as the other two. And it's right over here, the ordinary events of our lives, we could specifically point to the trials and temptations, and he has James 1, 2 through 4. In other words, the very place that God wants to transform your life is in the midst of those ordinary trials and tests that you're facing. That is an opportunity to become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I think on that level, we can truly count it a joy because of what God is doing in our lives, how he's strengthening our faith, how we're deepening our relationship with the Lord. See, every test, and this is it, is an opportunity to grow stronger. You're stronger today because of the trials you've gone through earlier in your life, growing stronger in the Lord. Number two, Every test is an opportunity to grow wiser. Wiser. You're going through something difficult and need some wisdom? You can ask God. This is awesome. Look at James 1.5. You lack wisdom. You should ask God. Now, okay, stop there. When, when I am in a trial, my first prayer is not, God, give me wisdom. My first prayer is like, God, would you take this away? Anyone? I wish he would have said, if any of you just needs God to take it away, would you just ask God? But God's like, no. Rather, okay, you can pray that. Sometimes God does take it away. I believe that. But rather, God's going to allow us to go through some, through some things. And he says, come to me for wisdom, and I'm going to give it to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's a promise. That's a promise. See, God wants to give us wisdom. Think about how cool that is. Paul jokes in 1 Corinthians one twenty-five: if God had any foolishness at all, which he doesn't, that even his, even God's foolishness would be wiser than all human wisdom. That's pretty awesome. In other words... <laughs> You and I are not as brilliant as we think we are. God is far wiser. And we can come to him for that wisdom when we need it. God even gave us a book full of wisdom. What's that book? Help me out again. Proverbs, yeah, it's a wisdom book. So he's given us wisdom for life. And if we need wisdom from God, James says, all you got to do is ask. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Years ago, I was going through a significant uh, transition in ministry. A previous church been going through some changes, and over time, it really became difficult. And I began to struggle. The longer it went on, I just didn't know what to do. 
finally one day it dawned on me I could literally ask God for wisdom, just like it says in James 1.5. And I stopped everything that I was doing, bowed my head, and prayed to the Lord. I said, God, you know what I'm going through, and I don't know what to do. Would you give me some wisdom? And I immediately heard the words, talk to Blake Bush. I just remember Scott talked about hearing God's voice last week. Do you know that we can ask God our questions and listen for his voice? Talk to Blake Bush. I haven't talked to Blake Bush in forever. Blake Bush was my youth pastor and Angie's youth pastor when we were teenagers. I got to call this guy, but I didn't get a chance. Because the very next day I got a call, when I looked at the caller ID, you'll never guess who it was. Blake Bush. Blake and his wife, Kristen, met with Angie and me over the whole course of this season. It was their encouragement and prayers and, and wisdom that were absolutely instrumental to helping us get through that trial in our life. I desperately needed wisdom. Turns out all I had to do was ask God. There's a prayer that we can pray, and God will answer it. He's promised us this in his word. It's pretty powerful. How do we know God will answer this prayer? Well, first, James builds our faith by pointing to the character of God. I like this. God gives generously to all without finding fault. He's a generous God. Second, James challenges us not to doubt. You put up verse 6. James says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so maybe you need wisdom for your life this morning, something you're going through. James says, if, if you want it, ask for it. And God will give it freely to you. He will. Um, but he says, don't, don't be like that wave of the sea, believing and doubting, believing and doubting, rising and falling. Instead, come to God expecting an answer. A request made in faith is the key to receiving wisdom. It might echo with something Jesus once said. Again, Matthew 21 21 and 22, Jesus replied, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself in the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Wow. What powerful encouragements and motivations for us to pray. Maybe right now you feel lost and confused. You don't know what to do. You're a stressed about making a wrong decision and in this very moment you cry out to God in faith God will you help me I don't know what to do will you show me what to do in my business in my marriage what to do with my kids or this situation in my family we constantly need wisdom for the tests and trials of our lives Wisdom comes from God, 
and God is just a prayer away. Every test is an opportunity to grow wiser, stronger. Number three, every test is an opportunity to grow clearer. In my life, when I've gone through trials and difficulties, I've always come out of that with with a better understanding of what's most important in my life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, trials have a way of clarifying our values, what matters to us. And James wants to help us gain this, this better perspective. And to do that, he's going he's gonna to have us look through the lens of poverty and riches. Now, not only is this a key theme of the letter, but it's also connecting us with the real issues faced by the real people who first received this letter. We said in our intro that they were Christians who were scattered among the nations. And you might ask, what were the trials of many kinds that they were facing? And it becomes clear as we read the letter. Look at James 2, verses 6 to 7. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him, Jesus, to whom you belong? So James is writing to people who are stressed financially. They're oppressed economically. They're persecuted unfairly. And Pastor James knows they need some encouragement here. And so he writes to them to give them some clarity, some spiritual clarity in the financial tests that they were facing. And listen to what he writes in James chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. So are you a believer? In humble circumstances, James says, take pride in your high position. We sang a song called Life Defined. What is our position in Christ? You are seated right now in heavenly places, book of Ephesians says. You're forgiven. You've been brought near. Uh, Heirs of eternal life headed to glory. Pretty awesome. Do you know your position in Christ right now? Life is defined by Jesus. James asks in James 2.5, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Our joy as believers in Jesus should reflect our position in Christ, not our circumstances of life. Jesus came proclaiming good news to the poor. So what about the rich? Back to James 1, verses 9 to 11. James writes, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Know the spiritual riches you have in Christ, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Strong words. (laughs) Since they will pass away like a wild flower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. 
So who are the rich? We know they are believers who are in humble circumstances. It says that, right? Believers in humble circumstances. But as far as the rich go, we're not really told about whether they have faith in Jesus. Are they believers? Are they unbelievers here? We're kind of left guessing. So they could be wealthy Christians who are a part of the community of faith, but they could also be the unbelieving rich who are oppressing them and blaspheming the name of Jesus. I don't know, as you look at that, it's kind of hard for me to tell. And commentators are split 50-50. So what do we make of this? Well, if these are rich unbelievers, they got all this pride in their wealth, James is saying, you might as well take pride in your humiliation because you can't take any of it with you. And you will come to the end of your life and you will possess nothing but the God you have rejected. But if these are wealthy Christians who are part of the community of faith, that these two are believers, James might be offering a strong reminder to live in humility. The message is take no pride in your possessions. And Paul says something similar in 1 Timothy 6.17. says, as for the rich in this present age, the believing rich, he says, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What an awesome God we have. He is so good. I think what speaks to me about this passage is that truly whether we see ourselves as rich or poor, either way, our finances are a test. Finances are a test of faith. And every test is an opportunity to grow clearer. So what matters most in our life? What do we truly value? Where does our joy come from? And the message is, as believers, our joy should reflect our position in Christ, not our situation in life. In verse 12, James describes it as a position of blessing. We'll end with this. James 1.12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And God sees you today. He knows how much you love him. And there is a great victory for you in Jesus Christ. He talks about the crown of life. This is the eternal life. That's waiting for every one of us at the end of this race. There is a a victory ahead. So we as believers, we go from faith to faith, glory to glory, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one we love, who's truly with us. Why can we rejoice in trials? Because we're not alone. Because God is at work. Every trial is an opportunity to grow stronger wiser and clearer.
You know, God uses our trials to mature us, to strengthen us as Christians, give us a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me pray as the, the team comes up. Oh God, we love you this morning. And we thank you for moments like this to remember how awesome you are. You know all things that we're going through and we can bring those before you this morning. I pray for those who are just kind of going through life and I ask that you would give us clarity on our position in Christ. Help us to know the glory of truly being sons and daughters of God, of the, the kingdom that is coming, God. We are, we are a part of that. And so our hope is not in our riches or our possessions, but our hope is in Christ this morning. I pray for those who need wisdom. And they're wondering what to do, and they're crying out to you this morning, God, thank you for the promise of wisdom to those who ask. I pray for supernatural insight this morning, even as we pray, God. And I pray that you would lift the burdens. Thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. Thank you for the joy available to us, even in the midst of sorrow and trial and heartache and anxiety, God. Our joy is in Jesus, so let that supernatural joy arise in our hearts. These are hearts that truly love Jesus. Your word tells us that we love because you first loved us. You gave your life on Calvary that we might forever live in a relationship with God. So thank you that you are here with us, you're beside us, and our freedom is in Christ. We glory in that this morning. Would you lead us as we go forward from here? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.